Hello out there, and welcome to the latest edition of Volley. This is Carol and April here, and I'm looking for my buddy Seth Robinson. Seth, I hope hey. you're out there. Hey. I am. How are you How doing? Are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, looking forward to the weekend. I have a busy weekend coming up, so a lot on the plate. So I'm eager to get that going. I'm going to see a soccer game this weekend. A real soccer game, not Oh, I was going to say, one of your children's soccer games. No, <laughs> no it's the uh, Chicago Red Stars professional women's team. So, oh. where do they play? They play at Toyota Park in Bridgeview, I think. Um, I think that's where the men's team here in Chicago plays as well. Um, not, I haven't been to the men's games, but it's like half an hour from my house. So, and I'm taking... My youngest that plays soccer, so oh, nice. Yeah, is it a day game or night? Yeah, day game. Three three o'clock. It's supposed to rain, and I'm hoping we've had like scattered thunderstorms all week. It's been very unpredictable, and so I'm hoping it misses it. Um, but we'll see. It'll it'll be fun. Oh, that sounds like fun. I've never gone to a professional soccer game um, before, and you know the the team that plays out here, the Revolution, which is owned by the owner of the Patriots. Bob Kraft and plays in that same complex where the Patriots play. Um, but they're really popular here. I mean, this is the men's team, but it's uh, um, it, you can see that the interest in soccer and, and as a professional sport, um, as a spectator sport, has grown in the U.S. And this particular franchise is one of the more popular ones. Mm. Gets yeah. a lot of it gets media coverage, you know. It's it's just it's in there on the sports pages, just as you know, not as prominently as the other teams around here, but um, does not get ignored. So it's 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 been interesting to watch that because that was not the case even five years ago. Yeah, I I was able to get tickets pretty easily, and I'm sure it looked like even the tickets that they were selling, you know, weren't planning on trying to fill up the place. They, they were more like you know all on one side. Um, so we'll see exactly, you know, what the vibe is like, but I think this team is pretty good as well. I think they've got several members on the U S national team. So it should be pretty cool as, as long as we don't get rained out. Well, I'll hope for the, I'll appeal to the rain gods oh, for you. Thank you. <laughs> on the last podcast, we kind of talked about how things were slow and kind of looking slow and. Apple had their big developer conference, but we kind of talked software last time. But the other big thing that's been dominating several types of headlines, not just technology headlines, but general headlines, is all of the business with Uber. And um, they're struggling, uh, I guess, is is one way to put it, on, on a few different fronts. Um, they've got the cultural conduct stuff that has really been at the forefront this week um, that really got sparked with Susan Fowler's blog post that highlighted some of the internal practices and some of the things that she had experienced. They've got different lawsuits, uh, one from Google alleging that they had improperly gotten some of the technology on self-driving vehicles, one from um, an individual in India that had been raped by one of their drivers and, and they took the medical information uh, and so now she's suing them and so they're they're facing struggles on a lot of fronts and there was some executive turnover this week and the CEO has taken a leave of absence and a board member resigned and it's just been a lot and so I thought that we could talk about it a little bit and to begin with um, I just wanted to ask you 
why do you think this is such a big story? I mean, these are big things that have happened and not at all to diminish those things that have happened, but it's probably not the first time that this has happened in corporate America, any of these things. Um, but there's something different about this one. And it, it is getting a lot of coverage and it's on general headlines. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you what you think about it and why you think it's been such a big deal. Well, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, yeah, Uber's had a terrible week. They've had a terrible 2017 period. But I think there are a couple of things that have brought this to the fore so much more than perhaps other corporations that have gone through the same thing. I think, for one, Uber is very recognizable. So um, it's it's consumer-focused. People are all over are taking Uber Uber rides, and so you know a headline with Uber in it is going to get attention. It's not like a more obscure technology company that people are not familiar with outside our industry, for instance, or the or the very users of, of that particular technology. The other thing that I think is going on is this is kind of a symptom of Silicon Valley that's been boiling under the surface for some time. If you talk to any women executives who work in this, as an example, have worked in, in, in Silicon Valley, they, I think, to a person almost will at least anonymously tell you that, that, you know, that, that the culture there is very, very difficult one. It's heavily male-oriented and no knock against men, but it's just, I think, that the, 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 the culture is such that it makes it very difficult for women, whether they're engineers or, market, or executives themselves, and, and to, to really have their voice be heard and be effective. And I think Uber is just, this raft of stories coming out about Uber all kind of bunched together at the same time really epitomize what has been a longstanding problem in Silicon Valley. And as technology becomes so much more pervasive and important in, in, uh, in our society, Silicon Valley becomes more important. I mean, that is the hub um, of what we are creating. And if they don't take the lead on some of these culture issues, it feels like we're regressing uh, in time in the corporate space. You know, so I, I just think that they it, it's, it could be timing, wrong place, wrong time, or just they're right at a, you know, at a tipping point for this particular subject of bad corporate stewardship and, uh, and behavior. But, uh, but I think the fact that Uber represents one of the newer technology companies is widely known and widely used by the consumers. So people that know nothing about technology, for instance, have all taken an Uber ride, for instance. So um, I think perhaps that's that familiarity that has led to the media coverage being so widespread. Yeah, those are great points. And I think the, that lines up with what I've been feeling about this and some of the thoughts that I, I had. I, I think that without trying to boil the ocean, I think that it, this is an interesting point in time where there's a, a lot of questions about what behavior do we want to have generally. And so those questions end up getting you know transferred to the companies that we deal with and, and things like that. Uh, more so than than before, I, I think that's always been there. I think people, you know, have boycotted companies because of their practices. But I, I think that the societal question of of what behavior and what interactions and how we want to treat each other, those I, I think are a little more touchy and and intense than they've been in a while. And so that I think that draws some attention here. I think the use of technology is, is another thing that that brings this forward. And I know when I asked my wife this question. The way that I posed it to her is, why do you think the general public cares about this Uber situation? And her response was, I'm not sure that the general public does. It's in some 
general headlines, like I said, but a lot of people probably just use Uber. They're not, you know, paying attention to specifics. And I can think of, you know, like my parents would be a good example where I can believe that they might have the app on their phone, but they aren't paying attention to this story. You know, even as they watch the news, this might be one that they would glaze over in favor of other things. And from my perspective, I would have pieces of the news that I would glaze over in favor of the technology stuff. And so I've probably brought, you know, some bias to it and I see it in, uh, you know, on the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post. And I think, oh my gosh, it's getting a ton of coverage, but maybe there's another thing on that front page that I don't see as much. Um, but I, I think in general, even if I've got a little bias there, that that use of technology and this feeling that technology is starting to drive the economy and it's starting to drive our culture and our society is uh, making people wonder a little bit about a lot of the things that you brought up, like the the culture of Silicon Valley that's maybe always been there uh, because it's been male-dominated, because that's what a lot of guys have preferred to do, and it hasn't been as welcoming or inclusive and an environment for women. And, you know, it's something that we're trying to change. And now here's an example of of why it's so important to change it, because not not only is is the company maybe behaving badly, but certain decisions might be getting made that just you know wouldn't get made if you've got the right perspective and the right people voicing opinions. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think one of the other things is driving the publicity here is that we now live in this age of social media, and we have talked about social media on Volley in the past, but you know cultural conduct at companies that may have been you know what. We, we would classify as bad behavior or even improper or illegal behavior has always taken place. But now it's transparent. I mean, people are, you know, voicing this publicly on social media and it's unavoidable and it's unavoidable for the company itself to address because they are, you know, facing so many, so much um, in the public forum that happens. And I think that dynamic, that part of the technology landscape, the whole social media thing uh, really changes how we, are able to see and view uh, the inner workings of a particular organization or company. And, uh, you know, you're in a fishbowl, basically. And it's funny that technology has has driven that transparency, right? There, there's something there that I haven't been able to completely put my finger on that because technology is creating this transparency and because technology is allowing for the scope of what we can deal with, with the amount of information that we have, the amount of connections that we have, that there's some additional accountability there, um, that as, as they're driving forward these things and as they're kind of taking powers that we, we've never really had before in, in the corporate space and giving new things to the consumers, that somewhere there's a new level of accountability. And and that, I think that is definitely true here of Uber. It's been true of Facebook, I think, as Facebook has tried to mm-hmm. say, we're just a platform. You know, we are providing the platform and it's a neutral platform. But if you are providing that platform that then allows for a much, much greater exchange of ideas, I think there is some responsibility there. And I think that's what they're grappling with, uh, of, of being able to not just say, well, we're completely neutral here, but in, in creating something that has, has given us something that we've never had before, they can't just remain neutral. Um, and I think a lot of these other huge technology companies are grappling with the same thing. Yeah, I totally agree there. I think it's a cop-out to say that you're a neutral platform 
um, and not have any accountability or responsibility for what takes place on the platform. And that's kind of a function of the gig economy in a way that we've created. You know, Uber will never will not say they're in the transportation business and they don't employ those drivers. They're just a platform provider. And I think it's, um, you know, I, I find almost an immorality to that in some ways that you take absolutely no responsibility for the what you, you know, the platform you've created and what then will be built on top of it. But I understand that 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 could be a, a debate that could be had back and forth convincingly on either side. I also wonder, along with transparency, I think we've become very quick take. Uh, you know, something's happening in the moment. And I think one of the impacts of technology over the past five to maybe seven or ten years has been this feeling that we've created a new world order. And I think in a lot of ways we have, but I I don't know that we know exactly what that new world order looks like. Uh, and so I think there's this reaction that, you know, here's Uber that we thought was going to define the rest of the transportation industry. And, you know, they've got bad behavior, or you could even transfer it over to like Lyft that is kind of following the same model. And I think some of the, the angst that we feel in this is not moving into the future as fast as, as we thought. But the reality is that some of the business models, I think, aren't necessarily there either. And I think that if we play things out over a longer term, the sustainability of these companies is something that we'll have to watch pretty carefully. Um, and and we want to react so quickly to all of these things that are happening. Uh, but in reality, some of this may be a moment in time and some of these things may play out over over a longer period of time. And we, we certainly want to make sure that we're having the discussion about what culture do we want in a company, what behavior and what accountability do we want. But we shouldn't necessarily assume here's a company that represented the future and and they're falling apart, so what does that mean? They, they might not have necessarily moved forward even if they did have bad behavior and they didn't have the right business model. Right, well, you know, we in our business, in the technology business, we know that um, anointing any one company as the future uh, is, uh, is a risky thing to do because things change so quickly. Yeah. The accountability thing plays over on the consumer side, too, as well. I, I think that that's mm -hmm. maybe a little cloudier. Like I said, I, I could see my parents using an app in the same way that you know I might fill up my gas tank and not be thinking of the behavior of the big oil companies. But the, the increased importance of technology is making some people start to think, well, what should the responsibility of the consumer be? Uh, you know, and there was an article by Farhad Manju in the New York Times this week saying, if you disagree with these practices, if you want to, you know, send a message or if you if you want to try to support companies with with better practices, there are options out there. And you could not use Uber as ubiquitous as it is, and you could use Lyft, which I actually did on my last trip to Phoenix, mostly just to test it out. And That's yeah, it worked, it worked fine. But a lot of people, I think, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of momentum around the first mover in a space or the biggest player in a space. And maybe some of the additional use of technology comes with a little bit more awareness and, and a little bit more uh, social responsibility, especially if that's a bigger deal in our society today. Yeah, no, I agree. And I read an article this morning um, 
uh, about Lyft and the and and Lyft is actually seeing uh, Lyft operates its business very differently and they do they do the same thing essentially, um, but their business model um, and their you know and how they deal with their company employees and how they are dealing with um, the profits that they make are very different and they are seeing you know they're seeing a surge in new riders, uh, new drivers. They're seeing a surge in women executives who want to work in their corporate office as opposed to those who would choose to work at Uber and have openly shunned Uber over choosing to work at Lyft. So, you know, people do, consumers um, and potential employees do, if they're angry enough or they're disgruntled enough or if they're just tired of a particular culture enough, I, I do believe that they will, um, their behavior will shift to um, a number two or a number three or whoever it is out, out in there as an alternative to whichever company that they're not pleased with. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'm sure there's a, a ways to go in this story. Uh, okay. And I'm sure I don't have, you know, all of the information on, on all sides of, of the story. And, and so, right. um, you know, I don't want to pass too much judgment here, but it's just been an interesting thing that's happened over the past week and there has been a ton of focus on it. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts. Oh, thank you very much. Drip, drip, drip things, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Kind of like waking up and putting CNN on every morning and not knowing <laughs> what you're going to read. <laughs> um, another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit today was an article that I read in the Wall Street Journal this week on rural broadband. And we were just talking about consumers and that technology is becoming more a part of their life and more a part of society and economy here. And this issue of rural broadband is one that I don't see get discussed very much. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of other technology topics that we talk about that I think are, are deserving of, of discussion. But this rural broadband one, I think, is one that's underrated. And I saw it firsthand when I went to an event last year in Kentucky talking to high school teachers, talking about our view of the IT workforce and the skills that people could build. And, and we were just brainstorming on things that could be done. And so many of them are hamstrung by not having infrastructure in place, by not being able to count on students having broadband when they go home. And, you know, in my suburban Chicago here, it's just something that I don't have a lot of visibility to. Um, and so that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And then there was this article doing a great job of describing how individuals and businesses in these places that don't have strong Internet are really just slipping further and further behind and how nationally that's a huge issue i think for for building our economy for building jobs of the future you know laying fiber and and building out that infrastructure is is a hugely expensive proposition and it's probably not one that will create the most immediate number of jobs but taking a long-term view i don't think that it's something that can be ignored yeah, no, I read the article. Thanks for passing it along. And I was really stunned. I do think this is a subject that is, you know, unlike Uber getting all the attention of, of the media, this this particular subject does not. And I, and I was I was kind of shocked. I mean, I really, you know, I do live in a rural area, but it's not quite the same as middle middle America and, and some parts of the south. And and that's where this seems looking at that map that was in the article. You know, it's incredible. Um, just to throw out a couple of numbers, the, what the article said is 39% or so 4 in 10 of the rural population, however that's defined in this country, or it's 23 million people roughly, uh, don't have access to broadband. That's stunning. 
And then when you think about the implications of that, like you mentioned, um, you know, employment and jobs, uh, it's difficult to, why would you start a company in an area that has, you know, the, uh, the equivalent of dial-up type speed or slow, you know, just not real broadband? Um, I wouldn't start a company there. It, it would be impossible. Uh, you think about the kids in the schools and how are, you know, how they are disadvantaged over kids who have broadband um, in more urban and suburban areas of the country. It's a difficult one to solve, though, I think, because in reading that article, because people are so spread out, so it's expensive. And so you've got to be asking these people in far-flung geographies to be paying, you know, an arm and a leg or what's maybe un completely unaffordable for them um, to get broadband, not to mention you've got to get it built and all of that. Um, we'll see um, if the infrastructure bill that's being proposed, or I don't know if it's been proposed yet, it's been talked about uh, at federal level, um, will include some some money for this this particular issue. I, I hope it does. I think this is important. It kind of made me a little sad reading it because it feels like, you know, do we really want to just like cut off people? I mean, it, it had implications for medical treatments, you know, for going to hospitals. They're diverting people from the hospital that's a couple miles down the road if they have a, a highly critical situation to one that may be 50 miles away because the one that, that's too close is not going to be able to access things quickly enough online. I mean, it's pretty, it was pretty depressing. Right. And I think part of the reason it feels depressing is because it seems solvable. Obviously, there's a money issue, but there's not a technical issue here, right? This isn't, you know, we, we can lay the cable, we can, we can do the things, we can get internet to places, but what are the finances? And I was encouraged to see that the current FCC chairman has this as an issue, I guess, coming from a somewhat rural area himself. I don't know exactly, you know, what the math is on building roads and bridges or upkeep on roads and bridges, you know, within an infrastructure bill versus laying some of this. And and where is is the best value there? Where is the money best spent? But it's hard for me to feel like it's not really really important to uh, get some of this infrastructure put in this this technical infrastructure. And if that has to be subsidized through the government, that seems like an action that the government should take for the nation uh, because of the economic hardship that a lot of these people are facing. Um, and again, whether or not it would immediately create jobs um, through specifically building out that infrastructure um, is maybe a little tough to say, but it certainly seems like long term you're creating jobs and building jobs and allowing some of these places to grow and thrive a little bit more rather than just see a continued drain from those rural areas into the urban centers. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree. I think it's paramount that this gets addressed. And you're right, the technical capability is there. Now, the money issue is a big one, and I, I won't belabor it, but it's, 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 it's a big one. Um, and I don't know how we solve, solve that. Um, you know, but the article likened this to, you know, FDR in the, you know, 1930s, 40s, um, about getting electricity to everybody's household. And it, you know, it, at the time, you know, even larger percentages of people than this, this broadband issue had no electricity in, in rural areas and everywhere um, all over the country. And that was overcome. And that may be a good blueprint for how we deal with this. Yeah. 
We will see, but uh, I think it's a big issue. Uh, I'd be interested to talk to our advocacy team a little bit and get some of their thoughts on it um, and see what they might be doing about it. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll see the needle moving a little bit as we go forward. Yeah, you know what, now that you say that, I think our advocacy team has worked on, on this broadband issue uh, and we had, um, we had Matt Starr as a guest uh, many volleys ago, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is on his docket, or it was, uh, a couple of years ago when he and I were speaking about something. So maybe that would be interesting to circle back with him and, and definitely see where they might be at if they're doing anything on the Hill about this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll include the link to the article in the show notes here for anyone that wants to read it, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I think it would be a good thing to, to have a little more focus on this. Definitely. Alrighty, my friend. Well, right. you guys have fun at the soccer game, and I will, um, I will uh, hope for so- hope for no rain for you. Thank you. And uh, hey, happy twenty fifth episode. I mean, you know, we Hi. keep plugging along with these. The numbers are are starting to get bigger and bigger. You know, before you, before you know it, we'll be having our centennial or whatever you oh, would call it in the podcast we'll have, world. Yeah, we'll have to have a big party. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, great. Well, congrats. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been real fun. Well, you have a good weekend, too, and uh, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Sounds good. All right.